Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, an indictment in a police-involved shooting in Columbus that happened last year. We'll take a look at some of the details. There are basically two facts that everyone agrees upon. That is that Canyon Boykin pulled over a car for a routine traffic stop October of last year. Ricky Ball fled. Shots were fired and Ricky Ball died. Everything else is highly challenged. Then reduced Medicaid payments make for a big change at a Gulf Coast hospital. Later, a visit from the experts of Everyday Tech on scams and staying prepared in September, the busiest month of the hurricane season. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A white former Columbus police officer is awaiting trial for shooting and killing a 26-year-old black man almost a year ago. The grand jury returned the indictment of former officer Canyon Boykin for manslaughter, asserting Boykin is criminally liable for the death of Ricky Ball. Even with the indictment, there is little agreement between police and community members on key facts of the case, including whether Ball was armed at the time of his death. We spoke with Matt Kessler, who has been covering the case for The Guardian. He tells us the incident that led to Ball's death started with a traffic stop. There are basically two facts that everyone agrees upon. That is that Canyon Boykin pulled over a car for a routine traffic stop October of last year. Ricky Ball fled. He was a passenger, not the driver. He Right. He was a passenger. He fled. Shots were fired and Ricky Ball died. Everything else is highly challenged, especially I think the biggest thing is the gun, because Ricky Ball's family, they insist that Ricky Ball hated guns, never owned a gun. And then the gun that was found on his body actually belonged to another Columbus police officer. The Columbus police officer, he claimed that that gun was stolen from his house, yet he never filed a theft report until 12 days after the shooting was he, of Ricky Ball. There were three police officers that night. Was he one of those three officers? No, he wasn't. Officer Boykin claimed that there was a struggle between him and Ricky Ball. Yeah, but again, that too is contested. Because that's the, that's the other thing is that the three officers, none of them activated their body cameras. 
One wasn't even wearing hers. Would that be understandable in a in a stop or a chase and then running on foot after a suspect? Absolutely not. That's the the policies. They have to turn on the body camera always. Uh, it was actually Boykin's second violation, and that's the reason he was fired. One of the reasons he was fired. The other reason he was fired was he made social media posts that used derogatory, r- racist terms, derogatory terms for blacks. Prior to this. Women. Prior to this incident yeah. in October. But he was yes. fired how soon after this shooting death? About two weeks. He has been charged or he's being indicted on manslaughter charges. Is that that's an right. appropriate charge in this case? I think so. Absolutely. I mean, it could be murder, but uh, I think manslaughter. Yeah, that seems appropriate. It's From what I understand, I spoke with a law professor at the University of Mississippi, Philip Broadhead, and what he told me is that it's highly unusual for an MBI investigation to result in the indictment of an officer for homicide, for manslaughter. So uh, this is pretty unusual, and especially considering that there's no body camera evidence. It's, it's, it's a, a real precedent. It's really unusual. But you said it was the DA that turned this case over to the, uh, it was Scott Colomb who turned this case over to the Attorney General's office. That's based on information he got from the MBI? He turned it over. You know, he had formerly been a city prosecutor, and so he wanted to turn it over for outside review, and the ACLU applauded his effort. They said that they believe that this should be how all um, officer-involved shootings are dealt with in the future. Now what happens? The indictment has come down. What's the process from here? So there are two things to consider, I think. Uh, The first thing is that Officer Boykin actually has a racial discrimination lawsuit against the city of Columbus. So he alleges that he was fired because he's white and the man that he shot is black. So that lawsuit will be stayed for six months or until this criminal case is concluded. So that's one result. Another result is that the Ball family, I believe, will be suing the city of Columbus. Uh, Those are the two things. Those are kind of the legal things that will be the result. As far as what's happening on the ground in the city of Columbus, I spoke with a couple members of the Ball family, and, uh, you know, they're very happy. They said that relations have improved with the police. Um, The community is really happy with relations with the police right now. So it sort of sounds like there's a new chief of police. So it sort of sounds like things are improving in Columbus, but there's going to be a lot of uh, legal fallout. And and weren't there community events held like open houses between the uh, police department and community members? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's going to be um, they're planning an upcoming march for the anniversary, October 15th. Uh, of the shooting. Um, so they're planning an upcoming march as well. So yeah, there have been a number of events. Is there any more culpability on the part of the police department, or is this all now focused on Canyon Boykin? That's a really good question. I believe that this is focused on Canyon Boykin. One of the other officers who was there that night, she is no longer on the force for unrelated reasons. But the third yeah, officer remains on the force? Third officer remains on the force. Third officer was very popular uh, amongst the, all of the communities, so everyone seems to be happy about that. Is he African-American or white? 
he is white. And it's been really interesting. You know, Columbus is almost a 50-50 black-white town. And the black community sided with one of the white officers and seemed to be um, a little bit more upset with one of the black officers in this instance. So it's it's really the racial kind of issues at play here have been really kind of interesting, uh, slightly different than what you might expect. So the, the female officer then was black? Yes, that's okay. correct. Matt Kessler is a reporter for The Guardian and has been covering this story since its beginning. So, Matt, thank you very much. We look forward to reading your report in The Guardian. Thank you, Karen. Up next, reduced Medicaid payments make for a big change at a Gulf Coast hospital. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. One day, one drive, one goal, $100,000. We need $100,000 to pay the cost of all things considered. Help us reach our goal during a one-day drive on Friday. To give now, visit mpbonline.org. Have you ever taken a week to do something that you know you could have easily done in just one day? I think we all have. But Friday, MPB Radio is putting procrastination off for a one-day $100,000 drop. We're asking you to help us raise the entire cost of all things considered in just one day. So for just one day, we need everyone who loves MPB Radio to call 888-372-GIVE or visit mpbonline.org and let's knock this drive out in one day. It's the one-day $100,000 drive this Friday on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Memorial Hospital at Gulfport says it will likely sell its mental health services in light of reduced Medicaid payments. Chief Executive Gary Marchand says Memorial is losing about $10 million a year thanks to reduced Medicaid payments. The hospital has even sued the state over the reductions, which Marchand says started in 2013. He tells MPB's Evelina Burnett the hospital's goal is in selling its mental health services are to preserve employment jobs and maintain access for patients. Memorial operates a, uh, a separate mental health hospital uh, in the northern part of Harrison County. It has, uh, beginning in 2013, been receiving payment cuts from the state Medicaid agency, probably averaging about $5 million a year for each and every year since then. And the hospital over the years, uh, you know, certainly up to today, uh, we've been operating that mental health campus, absorbing the payment cuts. Uh, we have eliminated some programming costs. We have shut down some beds. We have appealed uh, within the Division of Medicaid for payment relief. That's been denied. We have sought tax exemptions uh, so that we can avoid the uh, Medicaid agency's taxes. Uh, that's been denied. Um, so with the recent denial of our appeal, uh, we have decided to litigate uh, for fair payments in Chancery Court. Our reality, Evelina, is that we see that as probably a two- or three-year legal process. And I think, <clears throat> given the current state of health care reform and the health care environment, we just decided to face the realities of trying to operate a separate mental health facility in today's health care market. And, and that is the story. So I, I guess the short part of it is, you know, Medicaid underpayments that aren't covering our cost, uh, Medicaid tax liabilities that are adding to our cost burden. Uh, and the reality is the day we stop owning, you know, this mental health facility, we'll begin avoiding state Medicaid tax liabilities. And, and that's the reality that we face here. 
What kind of demand is there for the services that you provide there? Uh, good question. Uh, look, we know this uh, mental health campus, we refer to it as Memorial Behavioral Health. Look, it's a needed service. It operates inpatient beds. It operates partial hospitalization programs for day patients. It operates physician clinic and counseling services on an outpatient basis. It is a service that the community needs. And our two priorities as we move through assessing, you know, the long-term viability of that campus, our two priorities are, number one, that the community maintains access to those mental health services, and two, that all the employees up there, that we're able to preserve their jobs. Um, so as we move through the next several months, those become our two key priorities. Uh, so over the next few months, you're going to be doing a feasibility study, is that correct? Uh, step one is... Uh, we conduct a feasibility study. Uh, we get that study in hand. That's done by an objective external consultant, uh, and then they'll recommend various courses of action. So at that point in time, we begin to assess the various courses of action that this consultant would recommend. At, at that point in time, our options become available to us, and one of those options is very, very likely going to be the sale or long-term lease of the mental health assets. Gary Marchand with MPB's Evelina Burnett. Next, a visit from the experts of Everyday Tech on scams. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. You have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live in infamy. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Daily at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Public Broadcasting has partnered with StoryCorps to share first-person accounts of the lives of Mississippians from all walks of life. StoryCorps' mission is to preserve and share the stories of American lives through personal interviews. You can hear these locally recorded interviews each Tuesday morning at 8.30 as part of Mississippi Edition on NPB Think Radio. These segments will also be available at mpbonline.org. Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sharita Brennan, studio with Ashley Jeff Coat, Digital Media Director for MPB. And today we're going to be talking about scams. Ashley, good morning. Thanks for being in. Good morning, Sharita. I'm happy to be here. Let's talk about scams. Um, I was looking on Craigslist recently for a thing, and I got this long email back, and it asked me to fill out a form giving all my personal information. And I said, you know what, let's talk first. Since this is a local thing, let's talk first. Let's meet in person. Never got a response. I thought about all those people who get caught up into these scams. They are looking at things that are too good to be true. How do you detect these things? What are some of the clues that says, "Mm, this might be a scam? Well, I think the first thing that you pointed out is a really good one. When someone is asking for way more information than is actually necessary to complete whatever transaction it is, and they're not doing it and they just want you to send it to them. That should be a warning bell. Most people, if you are in conducting some kind of business online or paying for someone or a service online, you'll usually use something like PayPal or some other payment service as an intermediary because you don't want to just send your credit card information out to some random person who you don't know what they're going to do with it. So that's one thing to keep and look for. If they start asking for all kinds of personal information, that should be a big red flag. The next thing is if they're offering to do something for you for real, or give you something for really, really cheap, 
they just need you to do one thing for them first, mm-hmm. that's probably going to end up into some crazy rabbit hole and you have no idea what kind of stuff you're going to have to do for them and share with them. And eventually they're probably going to ask for money. And in the end, it's going to cost you way more money than it would have been if you just went and bought that item because they're, they're scamming you. They're just trying to get information out of you so that they can make use of your accounts, your information and your money. So talk about this idea to act now. It seems like whenever there's a scam, folks are like, you need to do this now or this is going to be the consequence. And sometimes that's what really scares people, this Mm -hmm. idea that, oh, it could be a consequence on the other side of that. Well, and they're also very good at tricking you. Like this is going to be, I I got a phone call recently that was a very threatening, this is your last chance to act. The IRS has initiated action against you. The IRS is not going to call me with with that kind of automated message about how they've initiated action against me. That's not how they work. That's not how any government agency works. Knowing that kind of stuff and knowing that you can expect to see that kind of thing, it's just a thing like as soon as you hear it, you should know this wants me to act right now or something's going to happen to my bank account or something's going to someone's going to send me to court. But there's not an actual person or an actual formal legal document involved. It's not an act right now. Almost all of the services that would need you to act promptly to something, they won't ask you to do that just like that. Mm-hmm. There's always some kind of system to it. If it is, if you get an email that says, hey, you need to do this right now or your bank account, won't, you won't be able to log into your bank account anymore for a great example because that's a very common scam. The best thing that you can do, call your bank. That's always a good idea. And I promise you that they would much prefer that you call and ask than accidentally give out your personal information. Now, how else are scams commonly carried out by email, over the phone, in person, somebody showing up at your door with some kind of uh, solicitation? Oh, yeah. All three. Very common. Um, There's also different things that you might fill out online, forms and things like that, that usually promising some kind of reward or gift for filling out this information or signing up for some service. Those are also very common scams, but definitely email and phone are probably the ones that we all have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. We get these crazy phone calls from people who say they're with Windows and we've detected a problem with your computer. Or we get an email that says, you need to change your password on this account right now. Click here to do it. And those aren't always legitimate. And it's a thing that we have to deal with all the time. But the best thing that you can do is just be aware and be cautious of the fact that something that looks like that can be a scam. If someone is calling you from Windows, it's probably a scam. If you're getting an email that says, click here to change your password, It's probably a scam. And if you're not sure if it is, you can always contact people directly. Contact your bank. Contact your email service provider. If there's something that you actually need to do, they'll be able to help you. Um, And that totally cuts out that middleman of the weird, suspicious email. Because sometimes you might get something that you do need to do. Mm -hmm. But it's so rare because so many companies are aware that this is how scammers try to trick people that they don't use that method of communication anymore. Okay, well, on Everyday Tech, the show, we'll talk more about recourse, what you should do as an immediate action if you do fall for a scam, and why you shouldn't be ashamed if you do fall for a scam. We'll talk about that more on Everyday Tech, the show, this coming Wednesday morning at 10. For Ashley Jeffcoat, I'm Sherita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for joining us. You have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live not in, in what Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. 
This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. September is traditionally the busiest month of the hurricane season. Almost 80% of named storms since 1950 have occurred during the month. Rafael Lemaitre is Public Affairs Director of the Federal Emergency Management Agency. He tells us hurricane preparation is key all year round and especially in September. September's the peak of hurricane season, and uh, as we're seeing right now, we're seeing a very busy Gulf region, and it's a reminder for us to take time now to prepare. So we've partnered with the best and brightest minds in the PR and advertising industry with the Ad Council to put together uh, a very important public service announcement that'll help folks uh, encourage them to take time to prepare and create an emergency plan. When you say uh, this plan, is it for families, communities? Who's it for? All of the above. You know, when it comes to disasters, those of us at FEMA, uh, we spend a lot of time practicing preparing uh, in conjunction with state and local officials. But at the end of the day, this is a shared responsibility. This is something that uh, we partner with individuals to make sure that they have all the supplies and information they need to stay safe during a disaster. Because we know when something happens, first responders aren't just uh, police officers and paramedics and folks from the state. Uh, It's families and neighbors helping neighbors themselves. So we want to take this time to encourage folks to sit down with their families and talk about what it's what you need to do if an emergency were to occur without any notice and if you were separated walk through do you know where your local shelter is how would you communicate if you didn't have a cell phone uh, ability to talk over the cell phone Um, do you have somebody who's out of state that everyone can check in with somehow to make sure that everyone's uh, accounted for and safe So it's really uh, time right now, although we should be doing it every year, but September in particular because of hurricane season. Make sure we're all ready and prepared. Do you find that people don't respond thinking, oh, I'll be okay, nothing's going to happen to me? Complacency is a big problem. And unfortunately, hope isn't a strategy when it comes to being prepared uh, for disasters. As we just saw with the tragic flooding in Louisiana, uh, we can get a major event even without a named storm hitting. Uh, So for us, it's really important that at the beginning of every hurricane season uh, that folks start from zero. Assume it only takes one because it's true. It only takes one hurricane, regardless of what the hurricane outlook at the beginning of the season says. Uh, it, can, it can hit. Uh, but the good news is that we're not powerless against this problem. We can be prepared. We can take steps to make sure that if something happens, we recover more quickly. Uh, and um, we don't need to be scared. We just need to be prepared. You know, it's interesting you bring up Louisiana because that that flooding was was unprecedented for one thing, but no one had time to respond. So maybe no matter where you live, you should have an emergency kit and and that kind of plan in case something unexpected does happen. I'm glad you brought that up. Flooding is the most common and costly disaster we see in the United States, and you don't have to live in a high-risk zone to be, to be a, a, a victim of flooding. This is something that we see time and time again happen to uh, everyone. And so I want to encourage, in, in addition to having the types of supplies and information on hand that you might need during a disaster, for everybody to purchase flood insurance. If something happens, as we've seen in Louisiana, FEMA assistance is only designed to get folks back up on the road to recovery. We cannot make survivors whole again. Flood insurance, however, can do that. It can replace your lost items. It can rebuild your home. Uh, And so we encourage folks, regardless of where they live, there's no such thing as a no-risk flood zone. You can get flooded. 
get flood insurance, and you can go to floodsmart.gov for information on that. You know, Raphael, in Mississippi, the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, the Mississippi Department of Transportation, other emergency agencies communicate now via Twitter. They can get information out to the public in the fastest way possible. Can you talk a little bit about social media and how that has become part of response? It's been a tremendous tool for those of us at FEMA and for state and local authorities. It's not just a one-way medium. It's not just to push information out uh, to, to residents in potentially affected areas. For us, it's been a tremendous tool to listen, to hear firsthand from survivors what they're seeing and what they're experiencing, and to interact with them. We're encouraging folks to listen to their state and local officials when it comes to storms and Twitter and social media is yet another tool in the toolbox to do that. It's not the only tool, but it's a very powerful one. Again, the campaign is Don't Wait, Communicate. And again, how can people find out more about that? Visit ready.gov. You'll see a whole whole resource of checklists, uh, templates, uh, conversation starters for your family, uh, anything you can imagine to help get your family prepared. And you can also download the FEMA app at the Apple App Store or on uh, the Google Play Store. Raphael Lemaitre is Director of Public Affairs for the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Raphael, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Deep South Dining. Now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express, ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays are credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. It's Marketplace Tax from...